Welcome to the Sermon Podcast of Trinity Church in Carryville, Tennessee, right outside of Memphis. For more information about our church, please visit our website, trinity901.com. So I'll start by saying something you already know. Uh, the Gospel of Mark is one of four Gospels, along with the Gospels of Matthew, Luke, and John. The Gospel of Mark is the shortest of the four Gospels, and it's not because Mark doesn't desire to give an accurate account of the life of Jesus, but rather Mark's style of writing and his personality is one of efficiency. Mark writes like a man who wants to get to the heart of the matter, which he does. And like all biblical writers, Mark's words are God's words and are thereby without error and are precisely the words that God orchestrated to land on that page. But before we dive into this passage, let's go to our God in prayer. Heavenly Father, we praise you and thank you for our time together this morning. May you speak to our hearts and to our minds as we unpack your word together. Amen. One of the great things about preaching a passage from one of the four Gospels, in this case Mark, is that the preacher can study the other three Gospels and usually find parallel accounts in those books that can be helpful in today's sermon. Now, this can also be challenging and time-consuming, however, because when I wrote this sermon, I was constantly flipping back and forth between all four Gospels in an attempt to paint a clear picture of our passage here in Mark. Now, I didn't need to do that. Mark can stand on his own, but it was helpful to me, and my hope is that it will be helpful to you as well. So as we look at today's passage, verses 1 and 2, we have the head honchos of the Jewish faith, the chief priests, and they had just arrested Jesus for claiming to be the Christ. These priests, they have been plotting to kill Jesus for some time now, and now they've got him. So verses 1 and 2, and as soon as it was morning, the chief priests held a consultation with the elders and scribes and the whole council, and they bound Jesus and led him away and delivered him over to Pilate, the Roman governor of Judea. And Pilate asked him, are you the king of the Jews? And he answered him, you have said so. Now, where are Pilate and Jesus having this conversation? They are having it inside Pilate's Roman governor headquarters, and that's recorded in the Gospel of John chapter 18. Let me read this for us. John chapter 18. So Pilate entered his headquarters again and called Jesus and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus answered, Do you say this of your own accord, or did others say it to you about me? Pilate answered, Am I a Jew? Your own nation and the chief priest have delivered you over to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. 
If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might, be, that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not from this world. Then Pilate said to him, So you are a king. Jesus answered, You say that I am a king. For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world, to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is the truth listens to my voice. Pilate said to him, What is truth? After he had said this, he went back outside to the Jews and told them, I find no guilt in him. So, essentially, Jesus shares the gospel with Pilate. That's what just happened here. Jesus wasn't silent. He spoke. He spoke to Pilate about the truth of who he was and why he was here, but Pilate didn't get it. So we just read that from the Gospel of John. Pilate doesn't recognize Jesus as the truth, but he finds no guilt in Jesus. Pilate also doesn't want to deal with this anymore, so he sends Jesus to Herod, who is the ruler of Galilee, and this is recorded in the Gospel of Luke. Let me read this. When Pilate heard that Jesus was from Galilee, he sent him over to Herod, who was himself in Jerusalem at the time. When Herod saw Jesus, he was very glad, for he had long desired to see him because he had heard about him and was hoping to see some sign done by him. So he questioned him at some length, but Jesus made no answer. He was silent. Chief priests and the scribes stood by, vehemently accusing him, and Herod with his soldiers treated him with contempt and mocked him. Then, arraying him in splendid clothing, Herod sends Jesus back to Pilate. And Herod and Pilate become friends with each other that very day, for before this they had been at enmity with each other. Thank you for your patience. We're now back at today's passage, verses 4 and 5. Jesus had been taken to Pilate, then to Herod, and now he's back with Pilate, verses 4 and 5. And Pilate again asked him, have you no answer to make? See how many charges they bring against you. But Jesus made no further answer. He was silent. And Pilate was amazed. So Jesus was done talking. He had spoken truth to Pilate, but Pilate didn't hear him. Herod saw Jesus really only as a circus clown. He wanted Jesus to perform signs and wonders for him. Instead, Jesus was silent. Then you have the chief priest who burned with envy and self-righteousness and who arrested Jesus in the first place. As the chief priests continue to rail against Jesus, he responds with silence. And Pilate, he's amazed because in the culture of the time, 
Silence equals guilt. And this man, Jesus, seems to be done defending himself. Doesn't he know that the chief priests are out for blood? So you think about these chief priests, the scholarly elite, the teachers and keepers of the faith, the chief priest who for generations said, be on the lookout, the Messiah is coming. These men could quote scripture in their sleep. Well, why did they stop? One of the first things I was taught in seminary was what to do when I encountered a verse or a passage in the Bible that I didn't understand, or maybe I understood it, but I needed further clarification. And as we discussed last week in our adult Sunday school class, the best way to understand a confusing part of the Bible is to look at other parts of the Bible that talk about the same stuff. Now, we are blessed in these modern times to open up a physical Bible or a digital Bible and see hundreds of cross-references to other passages. These other passages offer a wealth of information and clarity to help us deal with the topic at hand. Now, what do we do when we read something in the Bible we don't understand? What do we do when we read something in the Bible that makes us uncomfortable? What do we do when we read something in the Bible that we disagree with? What does our culture do? Our culture says, here's what that verse means to me. Here's how I interpret it. Here's how my heart interprets it. The problem with this method is that I can interpret this microphone as a ham sandwich if I want to. It's what it means to me. But if I put this microphone in a sealed bag and hand it to the FBI and they analyze it and do an extensive study, we're probably going to find that this microphone is not a ham sandwich it's most likely a microphone. You'll hear people say a lot, well, the Bible says God is love, so I'm just going to leave it at that. And they're right, God is love. But now read the rest of the passage, which I'm going to do in 1 John chapter 4. Anyone who does not Excuse me, anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. This is what the Bible means when it says God is love. Now, in defense of our culture, and probably everyone in this room, we can't quote scripture in our sleep. But you know who could? The chief priests. And they were leading Jesus to his death, 
and they already knew the prophecies of the coming Messiah. And Jesus checked every box. Here's what they already knew. The Messiah would be born of a woman. Messiah would be born in Bethlehem. Messiah would be born of a virgin, would come from the line of Abraham, would be a descendant of Isaac. All this is in the Old Testament. Messiah would be a descendant of Jacob, would come from the tribe of Judah, would be an heir to David's throne, would be anointed and eternal, would be called Emmanuel, would spend a season in Egypt. Messiah would, there would be a messenger that would, messenger that would prepare the way for the Messiah. Messiah would be preceded by a forerunner. He would be rejected by his people, would be a prophet, would be preceded by Elijah, would be declared the son of God, would be called a Nazarene, would bring light to Galilee, would speak in parables, would be sent to heal the brokenhearted. He would be a priest after the order of Melchizedek. He would be called king. He would enter Jerusalem on a donkey. He would be praised by little children. He would be betrayed. Messiah's price money would be used to buy a potter's field, Judas. Messiah would be falsely accused. Messiah would be silent before his accusers. Messiah would be hated without cause. And this is just to name a few. The chief priest had the answers at their fingertips. It was right there in the scriptures. And they studied and recited this stuff every day. The Messiah was here and his name was Jesus. But instead of running into his arms, they bound his arms. Instead of raising him up and putting him on their shoulders, they hoisted him up and nailed him to a piece of wood. Now, our passage goes on to say that there was another man in custody that day. His name was Barabbas, and he was a robber. He was a, he was a murderer. And all of this is taking place during Passover, and it was customary for one person to be released from, from prison during this Passover season. Now, Pilate saw this as an opportunity to release Jesus and get him out of his hair. So starting in verse 9, Pilate is speaking to the crowd, and he says this, Do you want me to release for you the king of the Jews? For he perceived that it was out of envy that the chief priest had delivered him up. But the chief priest stirred up the crowd to have him release for them Barabbas instead. And Pilate again said to him, or said to them, then what shall I do with the man you call the king of Jews? And they cried out, crucify him. And Pilate said to them, why? What evil has he done? But they shouted all the more, crucify him. So Pilate, wishing to satisfy the crowd, released for them Barabbas. And having scourged Jesus, he delivered him to be crucified. Now, the Gospel of Matthew tells us what Pilate did just before releasing Jesus to the crowd. Pilate took water and washed his hands before the crowd, saying, I am innocent of this man's blood. See to it yourselves. And the people answered, His blood be on us and our children. 
It wasn't just the chief priest who wanted Jesus to go away. Pilate wanted to be rid of this man as well. He never said he wanted Jesus to die, but he was okay with it if it would just shut up the crowd and he could pretend he was innocent of the whole thing. But as governor, only Pilate could give the orders to proceed with the crucifixion. Only Pilate could deliver Jesus into the hands of the crowd, the same crowd that had cheered Jesus and his name with palm branches just a short time ago. A pastor once said that as Jesus was being handed over to be crucified, that everyone in the scene had to be against him, that it was required that all parties had to essentially fail Jesus so that Jesus could do what he came for, die on the cross for our sins. Heck, even Peter turned his back on him. But then I got to thinking about Mother's Day and Jesus' own mother, Mary. She was here. She was witnessing this whole thing. And I doubt that she wanted to see her son crucified. I disagree with that pastor who said everyone on the scene that day had to turn their back on Jesus in order for him to do his saving work on the cross. Why? Because we've all turned our back on Jesus, including his own mother, because we've all sinned. What happened in today's passage is wonderful. It's fantastic. It's actually a cause for celebration because Jesus was done talking. He was silent. Jesus had set in motion the substitution of our sins to him. As the flesh is stripped from his back, our sins are stripped from our hearts. Adam's sin, Peter's sin, our sin, his mother's sin, paid in full. And this is just like he told Pilate. He told Pilate, for this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we thank you for doing something that you were under no obligation to do, which is sending your son to die for us, for our sins. And you did this only out of your love for us. May we never lose sight of your grace. Amen.